and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning, and you're going to want to check them out. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Today on the show, we have a great one lined up. Yes, first segment is going to be The Secret. What am I talking about? Well, you got to listen in to find out. Yes, then comes punishment and why you need it. The dreaded word punishment. We got to talk more about it, guys. It's important to understand, so we'll dive deep into that. Then comes the Breed of the Week, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com. You can also message me on Instagram or uh, social media in general. Any questions you guys might have about dog training, dogs in general, animals, send it on over my way. It might get featured on the podcast. Yes. So let's get going with today's show. But before we do, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what is the largest group of insects to be identified and classified? Yes, what's the largest group of insects to be identified and classified? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the secret. What is this magical, mystical secret I speak of? Well, it's the secret to dog training, and what is that Secret. I'm going to let you guys in. You ready? Listen closely. Okay, here it is. Walk your dog. (laughs) That's the secret. That is the magical fix to everything. Now, it's not just like, hey, go walk your dog and everything's fixed. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But it always starts with a walk. Always. Always, guys. Whether I'm training a tiny little puppy or I'm training an eight-year-old dog that's got severe anxiety and aggression issues, it always comes back to the walk. You know, I stress it to all my clients, without a doubt, the most important aspect of training your dog is a proper walk. It's not just going out and having a free-for-all and letting the dog sniff and, hey, we went for a walk. No, it's a mentally focused and engaged walk, right? You know, we always have to start the walk conversation with talking about a dog at its core. What is a dog at its core? And I always ask, what's, what's a dog? What is a dog? Oftentimes met with a blank stare, but that's all right. A dog is a domesticated wolf. Think about it. Dogs are domesticated wolves. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And what is a wolf? Well, a wolf is a pack migratory animal. It's in their nature to get up and go for a walk. They find food. They find shelter, safety in numbers, right? Bonding experience. It is their job at the end of the day to go for a walk. So... It doesn't matter how much we domesticate dogs, right? We can do it for thousands of years as we've done, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's never, we're never going to take away from what they are. They're a canine, they're a dog, they're a wolf. They're a domesticated wolf. And those instinctual needs for a wolf, for a domesticated wolf, they're always going to be there. And just as, look, you and I, we, we have instinctual needs, do we not? Right? I mean, think about sports even. Just, just let's, let's go that route. Competition. Those, those are instinctual needs. And sports are one of these ways that we can actually fulfill those needs of competition, of instinctual competition, of getting out, you know, aggression um, in a healthy channeled way. And that's what the walk is for your dog. Okay. And if we don't get these, right, what happens when we don't get these tendencies out in a healthy 
channeled, healthy way, we get frustration. We get behavioral issues, human or dog, right? So that's why the walk is the secret. That's it. That's what solves so many issues, guys. And again, you know, look, it doesn't matter if I'm starting with a tiny little puppy all the way through a 10-year-old dog that has severe aggression issues. It always comes back to the walk. It really does. It's, it's the biggest foundational building block in training. And it surprises me. It surprises me how many trainers out there do not put an emphasis on the walk, because to me, it's everything. Like I always, I always say it. You may, if you've listened to my podcast, you've heard me say this. It's like dribbling a basketball. If you can't dribble a basketball, you're not going to be in the NBA. And if you can't walk your dog properly, you're probably not going to get very far in your training. You're not going to be a superstar in your training. I can tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> and I want, I want my clients to aim for the stars. I do. I want my clients to have high expectations for their dogs. And for themselves in their training, for themselves too. And so if you want to have those and set those high expectations, guys, the secret's the walk. It's the walk. I want to scream it from the rooftops. I want to yell it around the world. Walk your dogs. That's why, once again, I end every episode with get out there and walk your dog. Because, guys, that's what's going to solve almost any problem you have out there. I can't stress this enough. That's why I talk about it so often. That's why I say it so much. It's all about the walk. And here, here we're going to talk about this right now. And the, the proof is in the pudding, right? So Nemo, I, I've been talking about Nemo a lot lately. My blue tick coonhound. I love the guy. He's, he's going to be, you know, he already is. He's, he's becoming a phenomenal dog. But man, once we're really done with the training, and he's still young. He's uh, actually turning two this month, come to think of it. Um, so once he settles down more, once he, you know, getting to be an adult dog and all that, the puppiness really wears off, he's going to be a phenomenal dog. He's like I said, he's really on his way. And I've done some experimentation in his training. And what I mean by this is one simple thing. I've gone a couple days without giving him a proper walk. And then I go weeks on end with giving him a really good walk. Okay. And the stark difference in his behavior and his demeanor and his willingness to listen, his ability to be trained is night and day. Night and day. Okay. Now, if you've heard me talk about Nemo before, he is a blue tick coonhound. We adopted him. Uh, he came to us with a lot of behavioral issues. He really did. He had a lot of anxiety, separation anxiety, just general anxiety for that matter. Uh, he wasn't very good on leash. He he was counter surfing. He uh, couldn't do car rides. He reacted at cars. We couldn't even go for all. Guys, I couldn't take him for a walk down the street. Cars going in a neighborhood at 20, 25 miles an hour. He couldn't even handle that. He'd lose it, try going after him, barking, lunging. It was a mess. And he's not doing that anymore. You know, uh, he really, I just, he's come such a long way and he, he, he's a, he's a good little snuggler. He loves to have, loves affection. I mean, what, what dog doesn't really, um, but he's a good boy, but he's a blue tycoon and he's a high energy, high intensity breed and he needs exercise and stimulation. Now every dog needs exercise and stimulation, no matter the breed, no matter the size, but a dog, especially like Nemo, right? It was incredible the difference, and I knew it, but I just wanted to, you know, I, why not experiment a little bit, um, see how it goes, see where his thresholds are. And sure enough, if he doesn't get his daily walk, man, what a different dog. He's absolutely he's passed out right now, asleep in the other room right now, um, because he's been getting his walks. He's been getting his daily walks. 
Okay, so there's the proof right there. I've seen it firsthand countless times with my clients. I've seen it firsthand uh, when, when, when I have a client who hasn't walked the dog, I bring a dog in and I start walking him. The night and day difference between every, just everything, like I said, their overall demeanor, but more importantly, their trainability. Okay, think of it like little kids. Um, I don't know if this is still going on, but I remember like 10, maybe 15 years ago, there were a lot of school districts doing away with recess, which is just nuts. <laughs> like elementary schools doing away with recess. What is that? What is that? First of all, kids need to get outside, get dirty, scrape their knees, have fun on a playground. That's part of it, right? Number one. But number two, these kids aren't getting their energy out. They're not channeling that excess uh, physical energy to be able to focus with their mental energy. It works exactly the same way with your dog. If you're not getting that physical energy out, then you're going to have a hell of a time getting them to mentally focus and training them. It's just, it's going to be harder. You're making it harder on them. You're making it harder on themselves because they have all this built up energy and they don't know what to do with it. They, uh, 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 how can you focus if you feel like that, right? You can't, you can't. Um, you know, we all feel better when we exercise regularly, but what do you think the walk is, right? That's, that's exercise. Now I've talked about it being physical exercise, but it's also that mental exercise as well. That goes back to that instinctual built-in need as a wolf to have the pack walk. Okay. So the secret guys, it's the secret. It's the secret to dog training. Okay. Um, when I start doing walks with dogs, like let's say I've got a dog, like let's just, let's run down like the, the list, the list of, Hey David, my dog has issues with this. Well, the answer is the walk. Hey, David, my dog has issues. Well, the answer is probably going to be the walk. <laughs> my dog has separation anxiety. The answer is the walk. Partially. <laughs> okay. But that's where it's going to begin. And that's going to be a huge ask. Because you look, you can do all the other things you need to do to fix separation anxiety. But if you're not walking your dog, none of those other things are going to work. Okay, so there's your first one, because that's one of the most common ones, right? My dog has separation anxiety. When I go into a consultation where we have a dog with separation anxiety, I would say roughly 80% of the time, the dog is not really being walked at all. And the other 20%, the people who are walking their dogs, are not creating a quality walk, or not creating a mentally engaged walk. Let's not forget, guys, walks, they're 85% mental, 15% physical, Everybody out there, we like to flop it. We like to flip-flop it, right? We like to make them 85% physical and 15% mental, or maybe 0% mental, <laughs> you know, from what I see for the most part. 85% um, mental, 15% physical. I need you to like write that down. Jot it in your brain. You need to remember this. This is so important. If you're not mentally engaging your dog on that walk, it's not going to give them that fulfillment. So boom, right there, separation anxiety. There's the first one. Okay, how about my dog reacts at other dogs, whether it be excitement or aggression, that, that doesn't really matter right now. But how about my dog, my dog reacts at other dogs on leash? Well, guess what? A proper walk is going to get that under control. If I can get a walk under control, a proper walk, then that means I'm creating good focus. And if I'm creating good focus, it gives me the ability to redirect their focus. And if I have the ability to redirect their focus, then when we do come across a trigger, hey, I've got something to work with. But if I have no way to get their, uh, to, to redirect, if I haven't taught them how to redirect focus, which the walk is going to teach them that, then you're kind of not really giving yourself a chance, quite frankly. You're just not. 
Because what you're going to do is you're just going to keep walking into the same situation. You're not going to have given your dog any more info to work with, and you're just going to keep running around in circles, right? But if I can get a good walk under control, create some focus, maybe get that energy level down too, you will be surprised. Just the other day, where was I? I'm trying to remember who that was. Uh, just the other day, I was on an appointment, and we I think it was a consultation. Yeah, and we had a dog who normally would react at a lot of things they see out on the walk. And we spent about 30 minutes on, on, you know, working, I would say 30 to 40 minutes between inside working on some focus and then going out on the leash and working on a focus after, after we worked inside. And the dog would see something that it normally would react at, and it didn't. And the owner went, wow, she didn't react to that. Just creating focus for even 20 minutes, it's amazing. It's incredible, quite frankly, the difference you can see in your dog's behavior when you create focus and create a better walk. Because that's all we did. That's it. That's all I did. That's it. Okay? So I cannot stress this enough. The magical secret. It's walking your dogs, guys. How about your dog has issues at the front door being way overexcited? Well, guess what? The walk. The walk fixes it. Number one, once again, we get the physical and mental energy levels down. Okay? Then the second thing, um, for me at least, what I teach, when I teach the walk... I teach these physical turns and physical redirections to be able to control the focus. And I use those physical turns and physical redirections at the front door when I'm greeting people. All goes back to the walk and back to basics. If I'm out in public, same thing. My dog has uh, issues getting overexcited greeting people. It all goes back to my basic turns and basic walk to teach them to greet people properly. We need my dog to ignore things out in public. Well, guess what? The walk gets you there. Yeah. Guys, the walk, I, I cannot, I, I like, I don't know how else to put it into words of how vitally important it is that you walk your dog on a proper walk every day. I don't care if you have a Chihuahua. I don't care if you have a Shih Tzu. I don't care if you have a, a Pomeranian. I don't care if, obviously, if you have something like a German Shepherd, that dog needs to be walked every single day. And let's just take a side note on that, guys. I, you know, those those of you that listen to my podcast uh, regularly, we always have the breed of the week, right? We have the breed of the week every week. And when I talk about these breeds of the week, we talk about the origin of the dog. And when we talk about the origin of the dog, or for that matter, we, you know, we talk about their needs, we talk about their origin, we talk about a lot of things. And there's it's incredible how many and what percentage of these dogs, the origin, the energy level needs, what they were bred for, all these things take a lot of stimulation. The point I'm trying to get at is these dogs were bred to work. They were bred to work. And we don't utilize dogs for the most part to work anymore, do we? There is pets. But the breed hasn't changed. Golden Retriever. Retrievers are actually the prime example because those are the dogs I see the most where this is an issue. We have people who get retrievers because they want a great dog. And don't get me wrong, I love retrievers. They're my favorite dogs and I agree with them. But they go out and they get these retrievers because they're phenomenal dogs. But then I come to hear, <laughs> you know, oh, that, yeah, well, that, he's a good dog. But, you know, we have to go to the vet every other month because he eats socks. Like, it's a normal thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's what we do. And I'll ask, how often do you walk your dog? Well, we go for a little walk, you know, but it's mostly him sniffing and peeing on things. And, well, he likes to bark at other dogs. So I don't really like to walk him much because he pulls me everywhere <laughs> Your dog is literally trying to convey to you, I am frustrated and I am bored. <laughs> okay. 
We people go out and get these dogs and don't give them what they instinctually need. And then we get frustrated dogs. And then we see it so often that it becomes the norm. And then my job becomes, as I always say, my job is not to train dogs. It's to change people's perspective on what a dog is. Don't forget what a dog is, guys. Domesticated wolf. I'm going to say it again. Uh, (laughs) They need their daily walks. They need them. They absolutely must have them. Now, if you have a Shih Tzu, guys, if you have a Shih Tzu, sure, sure, you don't need to be going for an hour, hour and a half walk every day. You can get away with that 30-minute walk. But I tell you what, you'll see a night and day difference in your dog's behavior. Focus training. If you do that daily 30-minute walk, bare minimum, maybe two 30-minute walks, one in the morning, one at night, you know, you'll see a big difference, okay? But on that, but again, on that note of like retrievers and, and, and working dogs, sporting dogs, gun dogs, you know, all these, all these dogs that were really bred to work, 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 work. If you're not giving them bare minimum a good walk, they're not going to be very fulfilled and we're going to get behavioral issues. Sure, there are exceptions. There are those dogs that are just, hey, you happen to be a pretty chill retriever. But that's not, that's not the whole, guys. You know, that's not on the whole. All right. So look, in my all my years doing this, all the time I've been doing this, the walk is the most important part of your training. I, it's where it starts every time. Okay, whether I take a dog for in-home training or whether I'm doing, uh, or rather, excuse me, whether I'm going to a people a people's home for in-home training or I take a dog in one of my boot camp programs, it always starts with a good walk every single time. It's got to be about that good quality walk. Right, guys, and if you have questions about that walk, you know, feel free to reach out to me, hire a professional, um, because it's very important that you do that walk correctly. If nothing else, if you do nothing else in your training, get a proper walk under control, because I promise you that is the magical secret to dog training more than anything. Get out there and walk your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, punishment and why you need it. Yes, the dreaded word, punishment, scary. Oh my goodness, red lights are going off, sirens. Look out, I said it, I said it, guys, I said punishment. Ah! <laughs> like some people, right? Some people are, are terrified of this word. They are, they're terrified of it because it's horrible and no, no, it's not. Punishment is not terrible. Punishment is a necessary part of everyday life. And I got news for you guys. You abide by the rules of punishment every single day, whether you realize it, whether you like it, is irrelevant because you do. 
And I bet you this, already ready for it, you use punishment with your dog. I'm going to tell you right now, whether you know it or not, you punish your dog all the time. Does that mean your dog is sad? Does that mean your dog is miserable and depressed? And Absolutely not. If anything, used correctly, punishment will make your dog a well-balanced animal. You heard me correctly, guys. Punishment is what's going to create a well-balanced dog. I don't know about you guys, but if I break the law, I have consequences that come my way. And consequence is another word for punishment, right? There's all kinds of words for it. Punishment, consequence. Um, Those are the only two coming to mind. (laughs) Aversive, if you want to get fancy. Uh, (laughs) Don't you love when you say stuff like that and then it comes around and turns and kicks you in the butt? Um, (laughs) Bites you in the butt. (laughs) I can talk still, I promise. Okay, so (laughs) punishment. You guys have heard my definition of punishment before. Now, again, uh, really quickly, punishment, consequence, aversive. An aversive is the technical term for a punishment. And an aversive, uh, the definition of punishment, aversive, is anything an animal works to avoid. Anything an animal works to avoid. Now, let's dissect this definition for a moment here. I didn't say anything physical, did I? I didn't say anything horrible, did I? I didn't say anything fearful, did I? No, I didn't. I said anything an animal works to avoid. Well, that doesn't sound so bad, right? But for some reason, for some reason, we have taken the word punishment, we've taken the word consequence, and we've associated all of these horrible things to it that are just not true. They're not. I'm here to dispel the myth that we shouldn't use punishment with our dogs. That's a myth, guys, because you should. You should. You should use punishment with children. You should pun- punishment should be used with adults. Now, punishment doesn't mean capital punishment for crying out loud here, guys. Punishment means anything an animal works to avoid. Okay, one of the most common and easiest uh, uh, examples I always give is when I drive down the street, I drive the speed limit because if I don't, I get a ticket. So by driving the speed limit, I'm actually working to avoid getting a ticket. Well, look at that. It meets my definition, doesn't it? Anything an animal works to avoid, ah, ticket's going to be a form of punishment to me because I work to avoid it. Okay, you see how that works? So another example I always give, if I said, hey, I've got a list of 10 things I want you to accomplish for me. And if you accomplish these 10 things, I will give you a, how about, how about not even a slice? I'll give you an entire chocolate cake. Now, I love chocolate cake, so if you gave me that, I would probably do those 10 tasks pretty quickly so I could get the chocolate cake. But let's say you don't like chocolate. I think you might be crazy, but you know, (laughs) no, to each his own. Uh, But let's say you don't like chocolate. What if you have an allergy to chocolate? You can't eat chocolate. Uh, What if you don't want the chocolate cake? Well, then you're not going to work to avoid that and therefore threatening to withhold chocolate cake, excuse me, it's not going to be a punishment, right? So punishment has to be something an animal works to avoid. Now, again, there's a very specific kind of, there's, there's a distinction we got, to, or an important detail rather we have to make right, uh, that we have to recognize right here. <laughs> I'm on a roll, I can talk. Um, just because I work to avoid not getting the chocolate, right? Because I, I want that chocolate cake. What I view as a punishment is not necessarily going to be what you view as a punishment. And it works the same with animals. 
What one animal views as a form of punishment, another animal might not. Okay. Uh, how about one of the most common things, one of the most common ways that people will tell you to fix a dog jumping on you is to do what? Turn your back to the dog. Uh, I had a client the other day who said, oh, everybody told me to do that. It doesn't fix a damn thing. <laughs> okay. So all of those people giving her the advice or attempting to use turning in the back, withholding affection, withholding attention to the dog, they're attempting to use that as a form of punishment. Because guys, punishment decreases behavior. Reinforcement increases behavior. So as a dog owner, if you're attempting to get a behavior to decrease, then you have to use some form of punishment. Withholding affection in that moment when your dog wants the affection is going to be a form of punishment. Why? Because the dog works to avoid not getting your effect. Works to avoid not not getting your effect. Double negative, something like that. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Boy, who knew this would be such a confusing segment today? Uh, <laughs> Okay, so the point is, if I withhold the affection, if I turn my back on a dog, but the dog still jumps on me, then it's not a punishment because the dog isn't working to avoid that, is they? Are they? Right? <laughs> is they? Jeez. <laughs> okay, so punishment is a necessary thing, and you have to understand that, well, that dog's not stopping. It keeps jumping on me. It keeps trying to get my attention. So whatever I'm doing is not working. Therefore, it's not a form of punishment. We have to understand that that dog doesn't view it that way. They don't care. It's not a form of punishment. So you have to do something different. This is why punishment is necessary. Okay. Because we have to understand what motivation is. That's how we train animals. Motivation. What motivates an animal and what doesn't motivate an animal. Okay. How about when you're in school? You work to avoid getting F's, right? You don't want an F. You work to avoid that. Therefore, it's a form of punishment. F's are a form of punishment. And then on top of that, if you if your parents don't like you getting F's, which gosh, I hope they don't, um, <laughs> then you're going to get punishment when you get home from school, aren't you? You're going to get grounded. So that makes getting an F even more, uh, an even stronger punishment, doesn't it? Yeah. See, so punishment is a normal part. It's a normal part of everyday life in our society. Whether it be human or whether it be dog, this is how we have to, um, this is how we have to train. Okay, look guys, I, I always say, I, I didn't make up these concepts. This isn't my opinion. This isn't something like, I was like, oh, look at this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call that a punishment. I'm gonna call that a reason. No, this is something that we figured out a while ago. <laughs> Um, scientists, psychologists came together and figured this stuff out. We labeled it over time. We've, you know, edited it and, 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 and try to refine it. But the basic concepts never change. They never change. There's only two ways to get behavior in this world, and that's punishment and reinforcement. Reinforcement's going to increase behavior. Punishment's going to decrease behavior. It's that simple. To me, guys, I look at it. And not to sound too like hippy dippy here, but I look at it like uh, yin and yang. You have the good, you have the bad. You have yin, you have yang. You have ebb, you have flow. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. There's day, there's night. It's how the world turns and operates, right? There's punishment, there's reinforcement. There's love, there's hate. Hopefully more love, right? But that's just it. That's just it. There's always one and the other. 
So if I use nothing but punishment, not a good thing. It's not a good thing because if I use nothing but punishment with my animal, they're going to end up not liking me very much. And then they end up, and then I end up fitting the definition of punishment, don't I? Because if you punish an animal too much, what do they do? They start working to avoid you. That's not what we want, is it? Then I'm fitting the definition of punishment, and then I am a form of punishment to the animal if they work to avoid me. And that's the opposite of what I want to accomplish. I don't want to be a source of punishment to my animal. But people who do that, who do too much, that's what ends up happening. Now let's go to the other side of the coin. What happens when we use too much reinforcement? Well, then your dog walks all over you. Then your dog thinks they own you. Your dog becomes possessive over you, right? So ebb and flow, yin and yang, good, bad, punishment, reinforcement, happy, sad. (laughs) If you really start looking at the world and observing how everything works around you, you'll see this, this, this cycle. But my clients who have this out of whack, people who approach dog training from an out-of-balance standpoint, from, well, I, he's a rescue and I only want to give him love and I don't want him to be scared and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, if you don't want him to be scared, you need to be a source of strength to your dog. And you want to know how you become a source of strength to your dog? Punishment and reinforcement. It's about creating the balance, showing where the boundaries are, showing where the reward is. You know? Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I kind of, I kind of view behavior like a linear line, right? I, I, I like, I imagine in my head this linear line and it's a pretty big line because to one direction of the line, one direction, one end of the spectrum, one end of this line, we have fight. And on the other end of the spectrum, way over on the other side of the line, we have flight. But somewhere in the middle, right in the middle of this very long line, we have balance. Now, also somewhere within this spectrum, we have punishment and we have reinforcement. Now, what I like to do is right around the middle area, I like to create two boundaries, right? There's a boundary on one side and a boundary on the other. And what those boundaries are, are are my rules and expectations for my dog. And if they stay within these boundaries on this line in the middle, in a balanced area, it's nothing but reinforcement and love and, and reinforcement. Well, screw the love. Let's not let them, let's not get the emotions involved. It's nothing but reinforcement to strengthen those behaviors. Because as long as they stay within my boundaries and my rules, and if you think about it, guys, that's how being a child works. At least for me, when I grew up, if I stayed within the rules my parents set forth, life was great. <laughs> my parents were awesome. But if I went outside that boundary, went outside that rule, There was punishment in order to decrease that behavior in order to get me to want to come back in the balanced area. Once I'm back in the balanced area, here comes reinforcement to increase that behavior. And wouldn't you know it, the more my parents reinforced behaviors when I stayed within that balanced area, the more I wanted to stay within that balanced area. And it's no different with your dog. The more you reinforce and strengthen those behaviors within your expectations, the more likely your dog is going to want to repeat those behaviors. Okay? But the only way, (laughs) the only way to get the behaviors outside of that line to decrease is through punishment. Yeah. If my dog is acting overexcited and crazy and I'm out on leash and they're trying to say hi to somebody and they're acting like a lunatic, if I keep moving toward that person, 
I'm only reinforcing that behavior and strengthening that crazy behavior. But if I want that behavior to decrease, I think to myself, well, what's a punishment to the dog right now? Well, the dog wants to say hi to them. So what do they want to work to avoid in this moment? Not saying hi to them. So what if I turn and go the other way? He wants to go toward them. So what if I give him the opposite of what he wants? That'd be a form of punishment, wouldn't it? Aha. So I'll turn and walk the other way and wait till my dog calms down. If they calm down, guess what I'm going to do? Turn around and go back toward the person in order to reinforce and strengthen that calm behavior. They start acting like a lunatic again. I turn and walk away in order to punish and decrease that overexcited behavior. Show them your overexcitement isn't getting you anything. As a matter of fact, you get what you don't want. You get punished for that behavior. And it's something as simple as turning and walking away. This is why punishment is necessary, guys. It's a misunderstood word. It's a misconstrued word. And look, it's my job. It's my mission to go out there and make sure you have the right info on this. Think about your life on a daily basis and how many forms of punishment are around you all the time. On the other side, think of how many forms of reinforcement, how many things strengthen your behavior. I mean, how about this? How about, right? How about your car insurance? Going back to driving, I mean, this is like the, it's so, doesn't your, a lot of companies offer uh, your rates to go down the safer you drive. There's incentive to drive safer. They're trying to reinforce and strengthen the behavior of driving safer. And the safer you drive, the more you get reinforced for it. However, what happens when you get in a lot of accidents? Your premiums go up. You get punished. Because <laughs> I think we all know we work to avoid higher premiums on anything, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we all do. We don't want to spend more money. We work to avoid that. We want to spend less money. So we drive safer. Now, there's the other side of it. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to get in a car accident. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt myself. So I work to avoid car accidents because I don't want to harm anybody because I work to avoid that. That's a form of punishment. Harming other people is a form of punishment to me. I don't want to do that. Right? It's all around you. You have to open your eyes to it and see it. Be willing to look at life through a different lens. Look at behavior through a different lens. Don't let these preconceived notions of punishment and reinforcement skew what it really is. Once again, not my opinion. This is Psych 101. <laughs> okay? This is Psychology 101. Punishment is a necessary part of our life, and it's all about the ebb and flow of how everything around us works, right? So think about that. The next time your dog is doing something you don't like, you need that behavior to decrease. And the only way to decrease that behavior is to use a punishment. And don't forget, punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. Utilize these tools, guys. Utilize these definitions. And I promise you, you'll have a better behaved and more balanced dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Flat-Coated Retriever. The Flat-Coated Retriever, they're a member of the sporting group, and they come in weighing from 60 to 70 pounds. A happy, confident dog with a willingness to please that makes the Flat-Coated Retriever a great gun dog and family member. They come in in either black or a liver coloration with feathering at the legs and tail. 
While they may resemble a golden retriever, they are their own distinct breed. The flat-coated retriever is known as the Peter Pan of the sporting group as they tend to mature a little slowly, and some of them even keep that puppy energy throughout their entire life. These dogs do have a lot of energy, and they are not suited for apartment living. They are bred to work hard and need a lot of exercise and stimulation to stay happy. When it comes to training, these dogs are easy to please and are a pleasure to work with. With a sweet disposition, they make a wonderful family dog. The flat-coated retriever does have some health issues to be aware of. As with a lot of the bigger dogs, regular hip and patella evaluations are necessary, and owners should be aware of hip dysplasia. Kept in good health, the flat-coated retriever can live to be 8 to 10 years old. The origins of the flat-coated retriever are relatively recent. They were bred starting somewhere in the mid to late 1800s. S.E. Shirley and H.R. Cook were credited with helping pioneer the breed, with the latter producing many show and field dogs from his kennel, Riverside Kennel. The St. John's dog, which is an early version of the lab, is prevalent in their genetics. The idea was to create a dog that has an equally high drive to retrieve game in the water or on land. The flat coat was bred to tirelessly retrieve, which any owner can attest these dogs will go for hours. The flat-coated retriever was the most popular breed of dog in England at one point, and once they were called the gamekeeper's dog because they found themselves so widespread around the sprawling estates of England before being overtaken in popularity by the Labrador and Golden Retrievers. The breed has almost faced extinction a few times, and breeders and fans have painstakingly preserved them. They have never regained the popularity they once had, but some breeders are happy about that, being able to control the breed and keep the original breed traits and working abilities, and of course their sweet and goofy nature. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the largest group of insects to be identified and classified? It's the beetles. Yes, not only were they one of the largest bands in the world, they are also the largest group of insects to be identified and classified. They're also the dominant species on Earth, as one in every five living species is a beetle. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Andy from Clearwater, Florida. Andy says, I have a one-year-old lab named Buddy who has a bit of a problem. He gets fresh with people when he meets them and goes straight for a nose greeting to the crotch. It doesn't matter who it is, he goes straight for it every time. What can I do to stop this behavior? <laughs> Fresh dogs, man. Uh, you know, look, Andy, part of the problem is this is an instinctual thing, right? We all know it. Dogs go for the crotch on other dogs. And so sometimes they think that's where they're supposed to go with people. Let's be realistic. People, we've got a lot of sweat glands there and a lot of scent that comes out. And it can tell the dog a lot of information about us, right? And so sometimes these instinctual behaviors take over, they become patterned, and before you know it, you've got a sniff, crotch-sniffing dog that you can't control. Um, so in his brain, he thinks he's probably doing the right thing. He's probably thinks he's doing just a normal thing. Uh, but what you need to do is you need to change the pattern, right? So clearly this is a, a pattern. You know it's coming. You know it's going to happen. You said it happens every single time without fail. So it actually makes it easier to correct. This is going to be a little labor intensive because you're going to have to leash up your dog every single time. Meaning if somebody's coming over to the house, leash on the dog. Somebody's coming home, leash on the dog. 
Um, obviously, if you're already out in public, you should have your dog leashed up too. But, you know, and there are different leash rules in different places, leash laws. Um, but you have to have control. You know, you have to have some form of physical control to change this pattern. That's the first thing. Okay. Uh, the next thing is, it's funny because this kind of goes back to walking your dog, which we talked about today on the podcast. Uh, if we go back to doing the turns and the walks, which I, you know, we're not going too in depth, with, but the point is, if you have a way to redirect your dog's focus and control the focus, then it makes it a lot easier to change his behavior. So what you're going to do is you're going to walk up to approach somebody, but don't let him go for the crotch. You're going to stop him before he does, redirect it away, and then once he looks at you, give him a treat. Okay. Turn and actually physically turn and walk away from the person to redirect him away. Uh, and then maybe call his name, get him to look at you, give him a treat. Okay, we're trying to create some focus. And then what I want you to do eventually here, you know, do a couple rounds of that. And then what you're going to do is you're going to approach the person, and you're going to actually ask him for a sit as you're approaching the person. Don't wait for him to go up and sniff. As you're almost to the person, you're going to go, hey, buddy, sit. Get him to sit. And then let the person give your dog a treat. Okay, let them give Buddy a treat. So that way, we're redirecting that focus to do a different behavior. He gets reinforcement behavior, and the reinforcement is coming from the person he wants to say hi to, and then he's sniffing, right? So now we're totally redirecting and changing that focus away from the crotch, <laughs> and instead redirecting it and channeling it to something healthy. Okay, so you've basically, you, you got to change the pattern. And the only way to pattern, change the pattern is to leash them up and reward when they don't do it. Leash them up, control it. Don't let the bad behavior happen, redirect it, and reward when he doesn't react. You'll discover you'll create this pattern to a point that it won't take too many repetitions and your dog's going to be walking up to somebody and turning and walking away. Walking up to somebody, turning and walking away, as opposed to walking up to somebody and going straight for the crotch, <laughs> right? Then eventually we can transition to I can walk up to somebody, get a pat on the head, and I don't go for the crotch. It's going to take a little time, a little patience, uh, but you have to be diligent on not letting him sniff those crotches, leashing him up. I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but yeah, you got to overcompensate to change that pattern. Next question. This comes from Danny from Falmouth, Maine. Danny says, my dog is a two-year-old lab hound mix we adopted a few months ago. He's a good boy, listens pretty well. He'll come when called in the house without a problem. But when we get outside, different story. <laughs> we live on a few acres and I'm having trouble getting him to come to me. What should I do? Okay, first thing you want to do, uh, Danny, get a long training leash. Now, because you have a few acres, I'd probably recommend going for like the 50-footers. Uh, 50-foot leash, it's a regular old nylon leash that's just 50 feet long. Now, I just have to give the disclaimer, please be careful when using leashes, dragging them around out in the yard like this. Rope burn is a serious thing. Uh, also, if your dog really gets up and moving and that leash hits you, it can actually wrap around your ankle, you know, like, like a whip type style. It'll, it'll rope. If you, you know, you go around something round hard enough, the, it, it will get caught up around your ankle and it could pull you over and hurt you. So I always give the disclaimer of when we do put long leashes on dogs, I need you to be mindful and aware of where that leash is and be very, very careful to not get caught up in it. Okay. Uh, that's the first thing. But what you're going to want to do is get that long leash on. And then the second step is going to be find a very, very, very smelly treat. Now, you said lab hound mix. We've got a strong nose. Find a smelly, stinky, meaty, delicious treat that your dog's going to go crazy for. Uh, as you, you know, I usually recommend something salmon, fish, fish oil. You know, that really is stinky, really sticks out. But you're going to take this treat and you're only going to use this treat when you practice the recall outside. Okay, we need to up the amount of, uh, of reward because look at it this way. Your dog's motivation, he's telling you, 
inside the house, yeah, no problem. I'll come. There's motivation to come inside the house because there's not not much going on. But when we get outside the house, there's smells, there's sounds, there's sights. There's all kinds of things to be distracted and motivated by that outweighs anything you've had to offer so far. So you need to up what you have to offer to strengthen and reward that behavior of them coming back to you. Okay. Now, leash them up, long leash. Don't let go of that leash. Instead, you're actually going to reel your dog in and call their name, kissy noise, simultaneously. They get to you, you feed them. We need, to train, we need to train them a recall and we need to do it controlled to start with. It has to start with a lot of leash and then we'll get to no leash, okay? Um, once they get, that behavior gets kind of bad, you know, gets hammered down, well, then we're going to let go of the leash, okay? Let them drag it around and then try to call. Okay, see if he comes to you. If he doesn't, we can always go, we got 50 feet. I can always go step on the leash and then pick it up and reel him in and go back to basics and go back to reinforcing him again, okay? So you just got to teach your dog a recall, slow it down a little bit and think about the motivation you need to offer. You need to offer something more enticing than all the exciting things going on outside. Now, hopefully your property is fenced. Uh, if it's not, you need to be extra careful, maybe get a second and third person if it's necessary, depending on how your property set up uh, out there with you to be able to make sure your dog's not getting away please practice uh, safe off-leash skills, right? Uh, be mindful about it, be smart about it, but you make sure you got them leashed up, up the reward, and then practice it over and over, not letting him get away with you to start with, and then releasing the leash and letting him go, you know, letting him have some freedom and practicing that recall, strengthening it and getting it from further and further away. Start with five feet, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet, and before you know it, your dog will be coming back to you without a problem. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget, guys, the secret to training your dog is to get out there and walk your dog. 